you're newer here, we're so glad to have you. And on the seat back in front of you is a connect card, and I'd love to just jot you a note. Nobody's going to knock at your door. Also, for all of us, new or not, on the back you can put your prayer requests, and the staff and the elders faithfully pray over those. And you can drop those prayer requests in the offering boxes that are by each of the doors on your way out. Now, you guys know our purpose. If you've been here very much at all, love Jesus, journey together, bring hope. That's what we're about. We're going to pray together. We're going to pray the Lord's Prayer. Would you please join me with all your heart? Pray with me now, please. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Lord, you are none other than the sovereign, holy, infinite, perfect, eternal, triune God. You're the God of incarnation, the God of crucifixion, the God of resurrection, of endless grace and mercy. We bless you. Lord, you know all that's in our hearts. Would you please speak to us this morning, however you choose. Lord, you, you, you know that Lord, we know there's just one church in the city, Christ Church, and we pray, Lord, for our, our fellow churches, particularly this morning, Lord God, for restoration, church plant out in Wood Forest. Lord, we pray for our missionaries around Houston and the world, Lord, particularly this morning our Madrid team, the Bordez and the Swinsons. Would you please anoint them, encourage them. Now, Papa, we thank you that you're here. Would you speak to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, all right, I'm not, I'm not going to ask you to stand today because uh, this is not so much a sermon. It's a family talk. I just really feel it's time for a little family talk. I'm going to do three things. I'm going to um, talk about seven core values that really define who we are as a church. Then I'm going to pivot and talk about two dreams that I'm especially excited about for the future. And then briefly, I'm going to encourage you that if this is your church home and this is the calling God's given us, then it's your calling. We need you. We need you all in. Okay, the seven values that define Wood's Edge, first of all, is the love of God, God's love for us. Uh, if, if you're around here much at all, you know that through all of my preaching, whatever topic that I'm on, uh, I'm going to get to God's love uh, at some point, most likely. For me, this is not theological. It is deeply personal. It is emotional. It is visceral. And this is why. Because as a young pastor, 29 years old in Oregon, I admitted to myself the painful reality, Jeff, you know all about God's love up here. You talk about it, you preach about it, but you don't feel it here. And, and that was a sobering realization, and it was causing some problems in my life. It was also exacerbated by my struggles with mental disease and obsessive-compulsive disorder. And I began a desperate quest involving the Bible, involving prayer. God used worship. He used people. And over the years, not just a few years, a lot of years, uh, God has really brought so much transformation so that it's for some time I feel so loved by God, and I feel such deep love for Him back, and I so want everybody at Wood's Edge 
to fully experience the love of God because life doesn't start until you enjoy His love. And so, this is front center for us. We're on good biblical footing here. Uh, the theme of the Bible is the sovereign, gracious love of God. The greatest commandment for you and I is to love God back, so we're on good biblical footing. But for me, it is so personal, and I'm so passionate about it. So it's just one of our values. If I've got one dream for Wood's Edge, it is this, that we all fall more in love with Jesus and enjoy His love for us. As a congregation, we all love the Lord. Okay, that's number one. Number two, in August of 2002, uh, four of us, small staff, were on leadership retreat, staff retreat, and we felt like God put on our hearts, y'all need to raise the value of, of prayer around here. It was an okay value, but it wasn't it, what it should be. And, he, and we felt like God gave us several specifics, including to relaunch our Wednesday night prayer service. And we began pressing into this, uh, partly with this deep conviction that the American church, with so much education, resources, organization, money, things like that, that almost... Uh, it, prayer is looked at as a preliminary before you do the real work of study, organizing, and planning. But when you look at the New Testament church in Jerusalem, prayer is the real work, and it is the lifeblood of the church. And when you look at the incredible things that God did in the book of Acts, contrast with the American church today, there's just a stark difference. And, and, and we deeply convince that, and we know that if God's going to do a great work with any group of people, He's going to first set them to pray. As Spurgeon reminded us. And so we began this journey to become a house of prayer more and more. We are still on that journey. We're lifting up the, the value of prayer because that's the key to everything else. By the way, if you're newer at Woods Edge, you've never been to our prayer service on Wednesday night, I think it's the best service at Woods Edge. Just about all of us who regularly go feel that way because of the strong presence of God. It's so palpable on Wednesday nights. If you've not tried it, please try it. If your schedule precludes it, then try to maybe once a month or something or every other week. But some of you, I encourage you, just make that a part of your life. Join us because it is pivotal to everything else. Thirdly is missions. Okay, the prayer was August of 2002. By November of that year, we were looking for one place in the world where we could really focus our missions efforts. It looked like it would be Turkey, which is the largest unreached country in the world. And ironically, the second half of the New Testament acts on, it's the Holy Land. So all over the Bible, and yet the largest of the unchurched countries in the world. Very hard place. As we sent a team to Turkey, we had a problem in the weeks before. I had a problem, and it was this. Jeff, if we send a team for Turkey, we get involved with Turkey, this church is not going to catch a real heart for the nations, what God's doing, unless the senior pastor has one. And truth be known, Jeff, you don't really have a heart for that. So I, I knew I needed to go. I needed to, to see if God would give me a heart for the nations. I went. Uh, the team, my first night there, took me to the sixth floor of the hotel we were staying by, staying in. Uh, we were overlooking old Constantinople. It was Ramadan, the, the Muslim fast. There were people milling around and a little bit of feast time after, after the sun went down. And, and, and in a moment, this is what God did in my heart. He, he grabbed my heart with this thought. Jeff, there are 12 to 15 million people in Istanbul. There have been millions of people in Turkey who generation after generation after generation who have lived and died and never known there was a loving God in heaven who sent his son to die for them. And, and, and that just 
pierced my heart, and God did it in a moment. I'm sure it's the answer to prayers of uh, the, the team that said, Jeff needs to get this. Um, since then, I have learned that every church that is strong in prayer is going to be strong in missions, without exception. So those two things are going to go together, and we've been on that journey since then, and God's doing incredible things. I'll tell you a little bit more about that. Number four, also about three of these things happened about the same year, 2002, and this was one of them, kingdom unity. But at the same time, I understood, I, I, I discovered that there were several cities around the world that, was, that were experiencing some transforming revival where the whole culture changed. And in every single case, this is what was happening, the pastors of the city were united praying together. Now, in the Spring Woodlands area, that wasn't happening, and so I thought, you know, that's not good. We need to pray together. So I began calling pastors to a prayer. We, we started doing this in, um, uh, it must have been 2002, 2003. It went slow. Uh, pastors are busy, and, and they mean well, but they're, they're just busy. It took years to get much momentum at all, but about after eight or ten years, relationships began to change. Trust began to change. We began to realize we're on the same side, not competing. We formed an organization called One Mission, and we collaborate together, we pray together, we worship together. I wish I could pull out my cell phone some Sunday morning and just read you the, the text that began at 4.30 from Larry Yarks, usually first, Alan Splawn of Woodlands Church, Randy Harvey, Scott Pollock, me, others, uh, telling, you know, we're praying for you guys, we love you guys. There's a genuine affection, and it's made a difference. About three years ago, I felt like God put in my heart, Jeff, that's great. You want to keep uh, th th this going on out here, but the whole city of Houston needs more of this unity too, and I'm certainly not the only one, but I, I'm, I am, I feel a call to, do, to bring more collaboration to the city of Houston, and that's happening. So kingdom unity, Jesus' prayer in John 17 that the church would be one, that, that is so vital and so needed if we're ever going to see a great work in the United States. Number five. 50% uh, giving outside the walls of the church. So we move on this campus in December of 2008, right about the time of a global financial recession, which was the worst time for us. And so we moved on the campus, much smaller church, and had uh, was, entered this church this season with a, a, a large debt, and way too big. And it caused some problems. Uh, and, and some months later, I preached a repentance sermon, said, you know, I apologize that we have had have, have so much debt and so little margin moving in. And we, and we felt like God put on our hearts as elders two things. We need to, to get out of debt and stay out of debt. And when we get out of debt, we need to get 50% of our regular income to local and international missions. And um, we began that journey, and, and the, the, after about four or five years, we were slowly making our way through that. God did some miraculous things. We were able to pay off the, the, the debt uh, quickly. And so in November two thir 2013, we paid off the debt completely. And since then, we've been debt-free, and we're going to stay debt-free. And 50% of our income goes outside the church. And God's honored that. You can, you know, it, God's called us to be a blessing, and He's going to bless us as we are a blessing. That's true of individuals, and that's true of churches. And it's been so fun. That's five. Number six, diversity. Um, all of us deplore the fact that, well, I hope all of us deplore the fact that, uh, that it's said that the most segregated hour in American society is 11 o'clock Sunday morning, that the church in America is so segregated. 
I've deplored that. Uh, God began to put on our heart an increasing burden, uh, particularly after we moved on this campus, uh, for diversity, and particularly diversity of two kinds, racial diversity. With the, ethnic, with the racial tension in the United States today, well, it's just such a good witness for there to be racial diversity. And then secondly, ethnic diversity. Since the nations are, are coming to the United States, and especially Houston, most diverse, the most ethnically diverse city in the United States, one out of four people in Houston, foreign-born, uh, to have ethnic diversity. A and it has been happening. I don't know if you guys are aware of it, but, but you may not be aware of, of how there are about 50 countries representing the United States, and I don't think I know them all, but, but I know of someone from uh, Cambodia, Pakistan, Iran, Iraq, Zambia, Egypt, Equatorial Guinea, South Korea, Romania, and, and countries throughout Europe, South America, and, and Africa, and, and it's just so exciting. And diversity is important because uh, over and over again, the, the Bible, God says, I want people in my heaven from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation. The only thing uniting us is the shed blood of Jesus Christ, the power of the gospel. And that is inherently glorifying to God, and it is a picture of where we're heading in heaven. And for heaven's sake, let's have it here on earth too, at least on Sunday mornings. So that's another one. It's become a definer. And then seventhly and finally is authenticity. Now, authenticity has actually been here from the start, but six years ago, it was punctuated by, by something that happened to me, and I just want to tell you what it is, because uh, some of you were around then, but most of you were not. Uh, I've struggled with obsessive-compulsive disorder uh, of my adult life from about age 21 on, and six years ago, in May of 2011, uh, it, it had been really getting bad, and I had a crisis. I was on vacation in Austin, and, and it was a crisis to the extent that, that I wasn't sure I was going to survive this. Now, those of you who've never had mental disease, you don't know what I'm talking about, survive this, what are you talking about? Those of you who had mental disease, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I wasn't sure I was going to live through this. As I, would I survive the summer? Now, I was on vacation. I came back the, about a week later, and I was trying to preach here at Wood's Edge. And so I've got a little decision to make, don't I? You know, are you going to talk about this, or are you going to ignore this? Well, to me, it was a pretty easy decision. Um, and, and for two reasons, I told the congregation, some of you were here then, in May of 2011. The first reason is that, is that to me, to stand up here and preach a sermon from God's Word when I'm dying inside and not sure I'm going to survive is just the height of hypocrisy, and I couldn't do that. That is such um, pretend, pretense. But secondly, I was so desperate that I wanted thousands of people at Wood's Edge to be praying for me. I needed that. Uh, if you were here, you responded beautifully and accepting me and loving me. And um, uh, God, God began doing some things in my life. He used people. He used freedom prayer, healing prayer. He used medicine. Uh, but, but you know what? What he mainly used was the prayers of, of the people at Wood's Edge. I'm convinced. A and um, today people ask me, you know, how are you doing with that? And, and uh, from time to time, and, and it's like I'm a different person. Now, let me just explain this, because it's a big deal to me. It's, it's a huge deal. For 35 years, 36 years, most days of my life, often, all day, most days, I was in deep anguish inside. And for God to bring healing to that is so big to me, I could not express it. 
And we believe in authenticity here. Uh, if you've got your act together, you're the only one. Because the rest of us, we're a mess. And yet we're so loved by God. So this is not a place to come and pretend. Now, church, those are seven values that God has built deeply into Wood's Edge for various reasons. He's built in um, God's love, prayer, missions, kingdom unity, 50% outside, diversity, and authenticity. And, and, And this is who we are more than anything, more than vision, more than anything. These values, this is Wood's Edge. All righty, I do want to uh, turn the corner and look at the future a bit, though. And, and, and I've got a lot of dreams for Wood's Edge. Would you please remember the main dream I shared earlier? I'm never going to lose it, that we would all love Jesus like he's never been loved before. That's first. But besides that, I've got two things that I'm real excited about these days that God's called us to, and I want to tell you about them. The first one, uh, you know about it, it's, it's that Houston become a city of God. We've been talking about this for, for five years now. And, and when I say Houston, a city of God, this is what I mean by it. I mean the sort of transforming revival so that the divorce rate goes way down, alcoholism, drug use, suicide rate, racial tension, materialism, abortion, human trafficking, uh, all of that go way down. People are coming to Christ all over the city day by day. There are healings of all kinds, more than ever. Every foster child in the city is adopted by a loving home, and, and people are just kind of walking around with their jaw hanging on. It's so exciting. I mean, can you imagine that kind of thing happening where people around the nation and, and around the world even say, what in the world is going on in Houston? It's like it's become a city of God. Now, we saw just a little fraction of that at Hurricane Harvey because people around the nation and the world, man, the way they're loving each other, that's great. But that is just the, the rumblings. Uh, I'm talking about a real transformation revival. Now, I know what some of you are thinking because it is just so human. Some of you and I have lived around this city for decades. And you're thinking, mm, Jeff, mm, can't see it. Um, uh, humanly, impossibility. We're not going to do this because we roll up our sleeves and work harder. If all of us do it, we will only do this if God does what he does all through the Bible, pour out his spirit in a miraculous way and and change, transform lives. Now, can that happen? Did, Did we not just sing a song with all of our hearts? God, you split the Red Sea. God, the walls of Jericho fall down. God, you did this, you did that. God, I believe you can do it again. And if you don't believe that, I'd encourage you to to, to, uh, recognize what practical atheism kind of looks like because that's holding to a form of religion but denying its power. God can do it. He will not do it, though, apart from our fervent united prayer and unity throughout the city, and we're seeing some good signs about both more than ever in my lifetime here. And so, church, do y'all realize that there is a prayer movement based out of Indonesia because we've got a good connection in the city of Houston with a a key prayer leader in Houston, with a prayer movement in Indonesia, one million people in the prayer movement. They have been praying daily for revival in Houston for at least a decade. I mean, isn't that something? Let's join them. Let's start praying for revival daily. Hopefully you already are. I am. 
but let's ask God, God, during our lifetime. We've read about revivals other places, other times, but oh God, could we see it in Houston for the glory of God? And if it happens in Houston, it's going to spread to other cities, and the, the honor in the name of Jesus Christ will, will just be so exalted. And so, I'm all in when it comes to Houston, a city of God, and I ask you to join with me. Okay, my second one that I'm really excited about, movements, kingdom, gospel, Bible movements of the kind we see in the book of Acts that we see, that we're seeing around the world today, we see in Houston and beyond, that we're part of that. Now, let me explain this. Okay, stick with me. I'm going to give you a little brief survey of the, of the first half of Acts because it's all about these movements that happen. And in Acts 247, the church has just been launched. 3,000 people came to Christ right away. And then 247, we read the Lord added day by day those who were being saved, so it just kept on going. And pretty soon, 5,000 more got saved. And then a little bit later in Acts 514, we read this. More than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. And that word, multitudes, tons and tons. It was no longer incremental. It was exponential. It was multiplication. Multitudes came to Christ. And then, next chapter is Acts 6-7, the Word of God continued to increase, and a number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. A couple of chapters later, the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, not just Jerusalem, the whole area, had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. We keep seeing that term. It's multiplying in the early church, fueled by prayer. Um, Acts eleven twenty one is beginning to move towards the Gentiles and, and Antioch, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Next chapter, 12, the Word of God increased and multiplied. You get the picture? We see some movements, some kingdom movements, uh, disciple-making, church-planting movements, and the gospel goes viral and no longer just sort of incremental. Now, church, since uh, the early church, we've tracked this down through the centuries, and we've got some specific measurements of what technically defines a movement, a thousand people coming to Christ, and so many generations and things like that. But the long and short is this, is that we've not had a whole lot of movement since the time of Christ. There have been whole centuries where zero movements or maybe one movement. Church, since 1990, we've got about 600 movements, uh, quantifiable movements. Uh, uh, about 70, the last I saw, were in Muslim peoples. We're talking about Muslims coming to Christ virally in Iran, Jordan, Indonesia, other places. And it's happening. And um, by God's grace, uh, God gave our missions pastor, Tim Martin, a key connection with someone that kind of got us involved with this early on. And it's the most exciting thing going on in missions around the world. And um, we've been, uh, we, we, we ourselves have helped launch a movement in the villages of Malawi. There's a movement going on uh, with Charles Sukaludza, one of the pastors and other pastors there. We're right on the cusp of a movement in Ecuador with Bob and Mary Burton, one of our elders down there. And, and, and we've been uh, 
pressing into this. We want to see more movements because this is what it's going to take. Because um, though there's more people, there are more people coming to Christ around the world today than ever. Biggest spiritual harvest. And, and, and that sounds unreal to us in the United States because we're not seeing it here. We're not. There's no revival going on here. But around the world, biggest spiritual harvest ever. However, we're not still not keeping up with population growth. We will not do that um, until we see movements in, in all the peoples. Now, this past uh, April, uh, there was uh, the movement leaders around the world, key movement leaders, called together uh, a gathering about 30 uh, people outside of London and then in Dubai to strategize about the future. How can we see this in all the unreached people groups of the world? There's still about 6,000 with no movement at all. And uh, Tim Martin and I, our missions pastor, and I got to go to that because one of the two leaders of that, uh, Steve Smith, attends our church. Now, Steve, where are you, Steve? I know he's here, right, there, right back there. Just stand up if you don't mind. Okay, look, just look at him. He's Steve Smith, and Steve, by the way, is really struggling with cancer and needs our prayers. Okay, Steve is, if he's not the, the, the most influential trainer for movements in the, in the world, he's on the short list of two or three. So we got an invitation to that, and we got a part of that. And by the way, um, uh, the best book, to, or a great book to read on this, on movements, to understand, is T for T, Steve's book. It's in our bookstore, and I encourage you to read that. And by the way, after the service, if you want to talk to Steve, uh, go talk to him. Um, <laughs> all right. Here's the privilege that we get as a church, we get as a church, is there are a couple of key churches that are really trying to mobilize the sleeping giant for missions, and that is the local church. One is Antioch Church in Waco, which I consider the greatest missions church in America, and the second one is Woods Edge. God's just given us a seat at the table to have influence on these movements that are multiplying and, and, and seeing incredible harvest, and we together, we, at, at, these, at this gathering in London and Dubai, uh, it's called 2414, after Matthew 2414, that Jesus will come after all the nations have been reached, all the peoples have been reached, and that's our goal, that we could see all the unreached people groups um, have a movement, at least starting by 2025. And uh, so we're, we're, we're going all into that. And, and it's going to become a common thing in the church in America. It's just not here yet, but give it another 10 or 20 years. But we're not waiting. Uh, we want to see this in Houston, around the United States. We're part of a group of people trying to see that. We're about, we're about to see one. Steve, do we have one in the United States? About three in the United States. So it's beginning to happen. Don't say it can't happen here. Uh, we want to see five of them in Houston. We will not reach Houston apart from movements. And, and this movement, it, it goes viral. Nobody's in control. It's usually house to house or business to business. Groups of believers meeting all over and reaching out and uh, just like the book of Acts. Movements. Be aware of these church planning, disciple-making movements. By the way, besides what we're involved with sort of officially as a church, uh, Yvonne Bikoff and Sergei Kirpinov both go to Wood's Edge. Sergei's one of our elders. I don't know if they're in the house, but they are really the leaders of movements in the Russian-speaking world all over Eurasia. And, and they're just critical to it. Anyway, movements is a great calling, and it's the most exciting thing going on in the world today for missions. All righty. Those are my two big dreams that I'm especially excited about, Houston, the city of God, and being part of these movements in Houston and beyond. Now, I want to clarify four things, because if I was sitting in your shoes, I'd have a few questions at this point. Here are the things I want to qualify. First of all, there are so many other things happening in missions at Wood's Edge that I would love to go one by partner by partner. It's amazing. 
For example, uh, healthy church plants like Restoration uh, in Wood Forest and Declaration in, uh, near Bender's Landing. And, and uh, we, we want to plant 100 churches in the next 10 years because that's always a part of the kingdom advancing. 100 churches like ours. There's the Houston Church Planting Network. Now, we've got a couple of cities around the nation, several cities, that uh, one church has a great church planting uh, ministry. But, but nowhere except in Houston do we have a number of churches together doing this. Now, a few years ago, uh, we launched Houston Church Planting Network. We were one of the four key churches along with Faith Bridge, First Presbyterian downtown, a church in Clear Lake. Now there are dozens and dozens of churches involved, but together we train church planters, and they go off into the city and plant churches, not our brands, but just any gospel brand. Jeremiah Morris, who preaches here from time to time, he's in one of those churches. In fact, Jeremiah really helped found HCPN, and we're part of that. Uh, I regularly teach in that, and part of that, I'm on the board of that. All righty, do you guys know about the Digital Bible Society? Now, their leader, I don't know if he's in the house right now, but Ken Bitgood and actually a number of their people go to Woods Edge. It's the main missions organization in the world to digitize Bible and biblical tools. Now, think how strategic that is because when you digitize and put a little microchip, the Bible, and put it in all kinds of languages and other things, that can go anywhere. That can go in any persecuted country, any, any closed country. It's just very strategic, and it's based right here. Oh, we've got uh, so many other things. Uh, guys like Ernie Fry, Ken Womack, training pastors, church planners, had an incredible impact around the world, all, all through Africa, jail, prison ministries like Vonnie Taylor. I saw Vonnie over there somewhere this morning. And uh, Vonnie and a team of mostly women, maybe it's all women now, go to this men's prison over in, in Navistota. You've heard me talk about it. Uh, they've had such a, a work of God there. Uh, disciples, getting disciples who are making disciples that when these prisoners get transferred to other prisons, they, they say, okay, we're sending them out on mission. And they call themselves Woods Edge West. And it's just so exciting. And plus there's prison jail ministry down in the city. Others are involved with uh, other inner city ministries that YWAM, I know the Dells are here, the Walkers are here. Uh, so many great things like that. Hank Huff was here the first service. Hank has a kingdom dog ministry. Very little known here. It's been on Focus on the Family, national radio, national television. They've seen over 60,000 people come to Christ over the last eight years through his kingdom dog ministry. It's just off the charts. Uh, do I talk about Love Foster's Hope with Cindy Miracle? If that's not the best foster care orphan ministry going around to care for them, I don't know what is. It's just amazing. I, I could go on. Sorry to leave out a lot of you. Guys, you should know. What God is doing in missions at Woods Edge is just off the charts. Yea, God, it is our privilege. I'm humbled to be any part of it, and you're a part of it. Okay, that's my first one. My second uh, clarification, and I particularly want this one. Our core ministries at Woods Edge inside the church are foundational to everything else. Children's, students, um, worship, prayer, uh, other ministries are, are stronger than ever. Uh, the, the internal ministry that, that we re want to really raise the bar on are our groups ministry. That's been a challenge. Groups are a challenge in our culture. But we've, we, we've had some changes beginning October that we think gonna, we're really going to turn the corner with that. But the internal ministries at Woods Edge are foundational to anything else happening outside. That we be healthy, Christ-loving people. And do you remember what my main dream is? That we love Jesus more. That's internal. That's us. 
but we're not going to just stay us. We're going to go out. That's the second clarification. My third clarification. Church, we are running out of space. Even in the cold flu season here, this service is full. Often it's, it's completely full. The third service is getting full. Uh, the children's space, we've been out for some time. We're out of space with children. And so this is what we're going to do. We're going to have some temporary things until we can do something more personal, more permanent. Okay, we're going to put two portables somewhere out there in the woods by fall for older children. Now, parents, it won't be too far out in the woods. They'll be, uh, they'll be uh, closer in. And then we're going to take the outdoor basketball pavilion. We're going to enclose the sides and expand it to have another worship venue. And hopefully that'll take, we'll do that within a year. By next January, I really need to go from three services to two services because it's kind of wearing me out and some of our other staff. And also, it's just very hard to get people here at 815. You don't come at 815. Um, <laughs> pay, people aren't coming then. And, um, but, but they'll come at 9 and 11, and, and, and we don't want to turn people away just because of the lack of bricks and mortar. Why would we do that? When people need to hear about the love and the mercy and the grace of Jesus and get their lives transformed. So we need more space. We need your help. In December, I, I sent you a letter that would you please pray about a special gift to help us do both these temporary things and long-term we need more space because we're running out of space. God's bringing tons of people to our area, and, uh, and God wants us to reach a lot of them, and we don't want to turn them away. We've turned plenty of people away because of our parking issues. All righty, fourthly, I'm 63. How long, Jeff, are you going to be here? And uh, uh, I get asked that question from time to time, and, and I would say this. I hope for a while. I, I'm... Um, even though I'm walking around real slowly, I had a meniscus surgery recently, and this is a little picture of the future. I'm going to gimp around one day. But in terms of energy and passion, I, I have more energy and passion than ever. And uh, I plan to be here while I have energy and passion. Um, I, I hope to at least 70, maybe longer. I trust that when the time is right for me to hand off the baton, that God will make it clear to the elders of Wood's Edge, who have final oversight, and that he'd also make it clear to Gail and me that time to move on. Uh, Gail certainly doesn't want me around here if I'm no longer any good. So uh, if I'm no longer effective. Uh, so we're, we're going to trust that God's going to guide us, but I'm here for now, not going anytime soon. So thank you. <clears throat> Four quick clarifications. Uh, so much else is happening in missions. The internal ministries are foundational to everything else. We're running out of space, church, and I'm not going anywhere. All righty. Um, what have we seen, church? We've seen our seven values, and it is values that define any group of people. God's love, prayer, missions, kingdom unity, uh, diversity, 50% outside the walls, authenticity. This is who we are. Two big dreams that God has called us to. A Houston, a city of God, and to be part of these movements around the world and right here in Houston. And then, briefly, let me encourage you. If God has called you to Woods Edge Church, this is your church. The epicenter of God's plan throughout the globe is the church, the church, the church. If he has called you to Wood's Edge, and this is our calling as a people, this is your calling as a believer, as part of this church.
There are no unchurched believers in the New Testament. We are planted integrally in a church, and it can't work if half of us are doing all the work, all the giving, all the praying, all the serving for the rest of us. We need every single one of us on board, not with our toe in the water, but diving head first, all in. And I want to encourage you, if you've been on the sidelines, get in the game. Because when you get to heaven one day, and you can reminisce with incredible things that God did here, was that I was a part of it. Don't miss out. Don't miss out on the fun. Stand with me, please. Well, Lord, we thank you. We're humbled, Lord God, by what you're doing. And Lord, we know that we got a long way to go in every area. And we pray you take us there. But Lord, thank you for what you're doing. Lord, please help each one of us to pray more, give more, serve more, love more, reach out more to our neighbors, our top five. Help us to be, Lord God, what you want us to be for the glory of Jesus. Amen. I don't need clapping, but if you believe in this, could you just respond by clapping? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Okay, church, the foundation of everything the Woods Edge is about is God's love for you and every Sunday in communion. That's what we celebrate, don't we? We take the bread and we take the cup, which the centerpiece of God's love is the cross of Jesus. And as we take those, we just bask in and receive the love of God. And we just worship. Come and worship, church. Come and worship.